and welcome back to the Disney World Today podcast. I'm your ghost host for the day, Kevin Pope. Hope everyone's having a magical day. Hope everyone's doing well. And at the time of recording this, it is the birthday of my absolute favorite place in the world, Walt Disney World. That's right, today is October 1st. September is over. Instagram and Twitter are full of memes about waking me up when September ends. But today we're going to be talking all about Disney and its 50th birthday, 50 years. You know, that's crazy to think about 50 years. It seems like such a long time. You know, think about things that are 50 years old. You know, see a, see a car that's 50 years old um, and you can tell that it's old and vintage, you know, uh, it's an antique. But if you look at Walt Disney World, for 50 years old, it doesn't look half bad. You know, that's the thing about Disney and Disney World and, you know, even Disneyland. They've um, they've just continuously been updating and upgrading their parks, you know, since opening day. And I think Disney, as much as I kind of rip on them for, you know, changing things and doing things I don't agree with, they've done a, a pretty good job of you know, updating and upgrading their parks while keeping, you know, a lot of the original, you know, nostalgic attractions and buildings and theming, you know, so that's something I really do appreciate. You know, if you talk to someone who was at the Magic Kingdom, you know, uh, on October 1st, 1971, and ask them what it was like. And, you know, I bet you there's a lot of things um, that are still there to this day. Now, obviously, they've gone over uh, a lot of changes construction wise they've built up they've you know built up the park but you know the castle's the same main street's the same for the most part you know the the theming and the park layout is you know pretty close to the exact same um and we're going to go through all that today because today's going to be a fun episode where we talk about Disney World on opening day on the last episode i did my first ever disney deep dive I talked about one of my favorite attractions of all time, Test Track, the original version, which ran from 1999 to 2012, and obviously the current version that is at Epcot today. We went over, you know, pretty much everything about the attraction, how it started, uh, what it was based off of, you know, the, the cue music, which I posted on my Instagram and got a lot of positive feedback. You guys love the Test Track music. That is so good to hear. I, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe because it's, uh, you know, it's older, um, you know, that music, you know, debuted with the ride in 1999 and, you know, it went away in 2012. So, you know, that's almost 10 years already. Um, you know, I was happy to see that a lot of other people were obsessed with that and uh, think so highly of the original Test Track music uh, because I love it. It's probably my favorite attraction music of all time. I think it's so good. Um, but it was a fun episode. Uh, if you haven't listened, I recommend checking it out. It's available, you know, everywhere. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, uh, wherever you get your podcasts from. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram, Disney World Today. My DMs are always open. Love chatting back and forth with you guys about everything Disney. For everyone, if you can do me a favor, if you're listening on your iPhone or uh anywhere you can access the iTunes podcast library, go to my homepage, Disney World Today, leave me a five-star rating, and if you leave me a review, 
I will read it next week and give you a shout out. And with that, let's jump into our time machines, set the date for October 1st, 1971, and together we're going to travel back to Walt Disney World opening day. All right, here we go. Your attention, please. The Walt Disney World Railroad, now boarding for a scenic trip around the Magic Kingdom. Board. Walt Disney World is a tribute to the philosophy and the life of Walter Elias Disney and to the talents, the dedication, and the loyalty of the entire Disney organization that made Walt Disney's dream come true. And you just heard Roy Disney giving his speech, his dedication speech of Walt Disney World in honor of his brother Walt who passed away in 1966, five years before Walt Disney World opened. Now, I, I think we all pretty much know the basic backstory behind the creation of Walt Disney World. Um, if not, I'll touch on it a little bit here. I'm not going to give you the full, um, the full documentary spiel on, uh, on how Walt decided to build Disney World, but we'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, Disney World opened October 1st, 1971. Uh, you know, quite quite a bit of time after Disneyland opened in uh, 1955. It's not like they built Disneyland and like instantly, um, you know, built another park. There was uh, there was some time in between there, and you know, think about how much how much different it was between 1955 and 1971. Two entirely different time periods. Um, but you know, thanks to the success of Disneyland is is why we have a Walt Disney World today. That's why I have a podcast and an Instagram page. And, you know, some of the greatest memories of my life have been on vacation with my family in Disney World. And, you know, I don't want to be dramatic and say my life would be completely different if Disney World never existed. But I think my life would be completely different if Disney World never existed. (laughs) You know, my uh, yearly family vacation to Disney World with you know, when I was a kid with my, you know, my parents, my sister, grandma, grandpa, cousins, and like the, the big group of us, all nine of us, uh, those vacations definitely helped shape me into the person I am today. You know, my, my morals and my family values and, you know, my memories and it's kind of, um, you know, it's just kind of helped shape me and I always appreciate that and those memories. But let's talk a little background on Disney World. Um, I'll give everyone kind of the spark notes quick version. You know, uh, Disneyland opened in Anaheim, California in 1955. And, you know, maybe the first uh, the first few days of operation were a little rough. I've heard stories of how they ran out of soft drinks and water fountains weren't uh, working. And, you know, the bathrooms were breaking. And it was so hot that uh, women's heels were kind of sinking into the into the ground, the, the fresh asphalt. But overall, it was a success, and, you know, Walt was happy with what he created, but, you know, Walt being kind of a perfectionist and wanting to always kind of go bigger and better, you know, he didn't look at Disneyland and just look at the positives. He looked at the negatives. He looked at what could be improved, and he took those things and, you know, decided he wanted to build another theme park, um, you know, and fix those, those negatives, fix those things that he, you know, maybe learned from things he couldn't prevent. Um, 
So that's when he decided he wanted to have basically an East Coast Disneyland. You know, they had the West Coast, they had California. And, uh, you know, at that time in the 50s, the, you know, the, the most popular places in the United States were the West Coast, California, East Coast, like the New York area, Boston area, and the Midwest with Chicago. And, um, you know, he obviously wanted to put something on the East Coast because, you know, travel back then, again, a little different. Uh, wasn't as easy to fly from East Coast to West Coast. And it's just, you know, it wasn't how it is today. And so he decided to start looking for, you know, the right place, the right state, the right plot of land to build his East Coast Disneyland. Now, I've, I've talked about it before and a bunch of times. And one of my latest episodes was all about Disney books. And my all-time favorite book on Disney um, was called Project Tomorrow, which talks about the entire process of creating Disney World and, you know, Walt, what Walt kind of had to go through and, you know, different areas. He looked at St. Louis and, you know, Virginia, Texas, other parts of Florida before ultimately settling on Orlando, which I think at the time was nothing but like orange groves and swamps. And you know, Orlando was not built up at all. Um, other parts of Florida kind of were like if you were in like Miami was kind of built up, but Orlando, central Florida really wasn't anything at all. Once he decided on Orlando, it, uh, it officially became the Florida project and him and his team were basically, you know, buying land in secret because the land was so cheap because there was nothing around that Walt and his, you know, his team were using fake names and fake construction names to buy up all these acres of land. So that, you know, if they found out if it was Walt, it was Walt Disney buying land, they would have hiked up the price instantly. And because of all this, he was able to get, you know, 25,000, I believe 25,000 acres of land in central Florida. Now, the main reason behind this is that where Disneyland was located, they, you know, they had the land in Anaheim for Disneyland for the actual park, but they didn't have any of the land surrounding it. So once Disneyland was created and gained a following and became popular and became a tourist destination, what happened? Now, obviously, the land around it started to develop, too. So, you know, Walt hated that, you know, across the street from Disneyland was just normal businesses and restaurants and fast food places and, you know, generic hotels. He didn't like that. He, it, you know, it, it kind of took away from that Disney magic and that bubble when, you know, certain areas of the park, maybe if you're on an attraction, you can see, you know, the hotel across the street. You know, you walk, you're walking into the park and there's just a random hotel right there. So that was basically the, his strategy for wanting to buy up all that land was to basically, you know, build his park inside of a bubble so that you didn't have, you know, uh, an IHOP across the street or whatever. And, you know, since he decided to do that is why we have, you know, the Walt Disney World Resort that we have today. We have four theme parks and however many resorts. I don't even know how many there are. And and there's still leftover land and still land left that they could build another park and more, you know, more resorts and water parks. So thankfully, Walt was thinking ahead. And, you know, it, what a smart move of, you know, buying the land under aliases so that he could buy as much as possible for the cheapest price. Now, as we all know, Disney opened uh, in 1971, and unfortunately, Walt passed away in 1966, so, you know, five years before the park um, opened, and, you know, he wasn't even really able to break ground on the uh, the Florida project on the Magic Kingdom. 
So after Walt passes away, Roy decides to take over and take charge and basically just fulfill his brother's dream. You know, a year later, um, in May of 1967, the Disney company officially breaks ground on the Magic Kingdom and what would become Walt Disney World. Now, now this subject has always interested me, and I've talked about this like with my family before. You know, what if Walt didn't pass away then? You know, I think the Magic Kingdom, um, I think that was as close to his dream as possible. You know, Roy took over. Um, it was only a year after Walt passed away, so they did have, you know, some some plans. They had some blueprints. They had ideas. They had a general knowledge of what, you know, Walt wanted uh, in his th- new theme park. So, uh, you know, the Magic Kingdom, I think, would have been um, pretty similar to, uh, you know, as it would be if Walt didn't pass away then, if he, you know, but uh, I think after Magic Kingdom with Epcot and how the resort kind of evolved, I think I think that would have been a lot different, actually. I think it really would have uh, been different if he didn't pass away when he did. But a year after he dies, construction begins. And, you know, the obviously at first in 1971, the only theme park was the Magic Kingdom. And we're going to go over everything about the Magic Kingdom, all the attractions, what was there, prices. And then we're going to talk about, you know, what else there was in in Walt Disney World. Um, You know, basically it was just the Magic Kingdom and some hotels. So we're going to get into all of that. So Disney World is technically um, located in Orlando, Florida. But as, as Disney diehards know, it's actually the city of Lake Bonavista. And, you know, the Lake Bonavista and, the, and Bay Lake are technically small cities owned and operated by uh, the Walt Disney Company. They became, you know, official places on a map, uh, you know, uh, in 1967 by the governor after, you know, the Disney Company decided to break ground and build this new theme park. Um, you know, as well as Lake Bonavista and Bay Lake, I think a lot of us know Reedy Creek, um, which is like the governing body of who's in charge of the land and there's a reedy Reedy creek fire department and you know the reedy creek improvement district so they're in charge of the actual physical land that walt disney world sits on you know and i don't know how popular reedy creek is for you guys and the disney community um every time we see a fire truck and a firehouse in disney we see the reedy creek but my family loves reedy creek so much that we named our family dog after the Reedy Creek Improvement District. We had a dog named Reedy. She was the best dog in the world. And, you know, her name was tied into Disney World. So I always thought that was pretty cool. And uh, it was always interesting to explain to people, like when they would ask what her name was and you'd say Reedy, they were like, what? What is that? Reed? You know, but uh, it's a cool little uh, fun fact about me. So let's say we're going to Disney World on opening day. 1971 and we're not from the Orlando area or from Florida where are we going to stay well as of opening day there were only three Disney World official resorts the Contemporary the Polynesian and the Fort Wilderness campgrounds now uh, obviously the Contemporary and Polynesian were connected to the Magic Kingdom through the monorail so you had that option Um, they also had boats that would take you there and you know, if you were staying at the Fort Wilderness campgrounds, you could take a boat across um, Bay Lake to uh, the Magic Kingdom. 
but only three resorts, which is pretty cool. And, you know, to the, I mean, let's think about that for one second. Two of the three original resorts, October 1st, 1971, are arguably still the two best resorts. You know, in the contemporary and Polynesian today, um, you know, they're, they're very popular. People always want to stay there. And they're two of the most expensive Disney World resorts. And the prices back in 1971, uh, around opening day, uh, to stay at either the Contemporary or the Polynesian, you'd have to pay between $28 and $44 per night. Yeah, that's right. $28 and $44 anywhere. Like, I'll pay $44 to stay there. Are you kidding me? Now, I don't have the specific prices for the Fort Wilderness Campground, and I should say technically, um, you know, it didn't open until November of 1971, so it wasn't actually open to the public on opening day, uh, but, you know, considering it was just a campground for RVs and stuff, and I don't think they had the cabins yet, uh, I can only imagine how cheap those prices were to stay there. So besides the two classic resorts, the Contemporary and Polynesian. You know, what else was there to do? Well, you know, they had some recreational options. They had, you know, the Tricircle D Ranch at Fort Wilderness when that opened. Um, they did have their golf courses and they did have like the watercraft and boats and stuff available for rental. Um, I did find one site that said uh, it cost uh, $1 per person to jet ski or $25 for an hour to rent a boat. Um, they also had you know, swimming, biking, uh, and tennis, uh, along with horseback riding at the Fort Wilderness Campground. So I think that costs $5 an hour to ride, to ride a horse at the campgrounds. Um, they also had like guided tours. They had like just like games and stuff, archery, uh, just your typical kind of like outdoors type recreational activities available at the Fort Wilderness Campground. Now let's move on to what everyone wants to talk about, the Magic Kingdom. Now when the park opened, there were three different uh, pricing tiers for the Magic Kingdom. There's general admission, junior admission, and child admission. The general admission on opening day was a staggering $3.50. Wow, three dollars and fifty cents. Uh, junior admission was um, people aged twelve to seventeen was two dollars and fifty cents. The child admission was children three to eleven was one dollar, and children under two years old were free. So, opening day three dollars and fifty cents to get into the park. That man that. You know, that just, that blows my mind to think about. I know it's, you know, a long time ago, 50 years ago, it's a different time, but I can't even imagine, you know, paying that amount to get into the Magic Kingdom. Now, I know I mentioned it briefly before, but this is where it gets a little interesting and tricky, and, you know, we kind of forget that this was a real thing, but yeah, you know, it was cheap to get into the, into the park, you know, two, three bucks to get in, but once you got into the Magic Kingdom, you kind of had to pay for, you know, literally anything you wanted to do. So I know at least on opening day, like even on Main Street USA, if you wanted to use uh, one of the vehicles, like to get from the front of the park, you know, to the castle, the, uh, you know, what do they call them? Like the, the little, you know, trolleys and stuff that cost you 10 cents. Um, yeah, I know it's only a dime, but still, especially back then, you know, that kind of adds up. Um, 
And I know Cinderella's Golden Carousel to ride that was also 10 cents. Um, and they had like, so their rides were based off of how thrilling they were. So like they were kind of in different categories with a different letter. You had your B tickets, C tickets, D tickets, and E tickets. Uh, so for example, the B tickets were kind of the more lighter things and e-tickets were your more expensive and your more popular attractions, more thrilling attractions. So for 25 cents, you could get uh, access to any of the B tickets, which included the Main Street Cinema, Frontierland's Shooting Gallery, which is somehow still there today, Mike Fink Keelboats, or the Swiss Family Treehouse. So for 25 cents, uh, if you wanted to, you know, ride one of those attractions or, you know, use the Frontierland Shooting Arcade, you had to pay 25 cents anytime, every time you wanted to uh, to do it or to try it. Now on to the C-Ticket attractions. Now these cost 50 cents. This included the Tomorrowland Grand Prix Raceway, Fantasyland's Dumbo the Flying Elephant, Peter Pan's Flight, Snow White's Adventures, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, the Mad Tea Party, or Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes. Now, you know, 50 cents, I feel like this was a pretty good bargain. You know, for 50 cents, you're you're riding, you know, classic dark rides like um, Peter Pan's Flight and Snow White and Mr. Toad's, whereas for 25 cents, it didn't really seem, you know, worth it. But 50 cents, you get to ride any of these attractions. But again, you know, back in 1971, 50 cents was you know more money than it is today and with a family of four imagine you know how many times they wanted to ride these attractions and you know how much uh, how much money extra money you would spend you know once you're inside the park now onto our d ticket attractions these were 75 cents each and they included the main street railroad the skyway flight to the moon the country bear jamboree the Liberty, Liberty Square Riverboat, and Hall of Presidents. Interesting list here, 75. <sighs> you know, there's a there's a part of me that thinks, like, if you made the, the Main Street Railroad, you know, today, 75 cents, that I don't even think people would ride it. You know, and back then, this was considered, you know, the, the second most um, attractive, uh, you know, category of rides with the D tickets here. There's only... There's only one category above it with the e-tickets, you know, Country Bears, you know, I could I could see that being a, uh, a popular one back then. And finally, our e-ticket attractions, the most expensive at 80 cents, included A Small World, Mickey Mouse Review, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, Jungle Cruise, Tropical Serenade, and The Haunted Mansion. So for 80 cents, you got to experience all of your favorite and According to them, the most popular attractions at Disney World at that time. So definitely a different experience, uh, you know, paying to ride uh, an attraction every single time you wanted to ride it. Luckily, Disney wouldn't do anything like that nowadays. Oh, too soon? Yep, that's right. Here we are in 2021. We're going to be paying for fast passes. So kind of come full circle in that regard. And finally, let's talk about the attractions. Let's go through... All the attractions just do a brief kind of rundown of uh, what they were you know some of them are going to be the same but obviously there's some different attractions that are no longer there so let's start us off with the country bear jamboree obviously still there today technically i think uh you know at this point uh 
I know sometimes it just kind of operates seasonally because they don't draw enough, um, you know, they don't draw enough guests if they just leave it open year round. Um, whereas, you know, if they close the Country Bear Jamboree for a certain amount of time, you know, people start to worry that it's going to be taken away and, you know, people then, you know, they don't see it for a while. And then when they bring it back, um, during like their more popular, um, times at the Magic Kingdom, you know, maybe they'll draw more guests, but the Country Bear Jamboree, yes, it was the same. It was a, uh, you know, a show sing-along, um, musical, uh, starring the Country Bears, animatronics, and, uh, you know, it's, it was always kind of, um, meant to be like humorous, you know, the, the, if you listen to the lyrics of the songs, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're meant to be funny, uh, somewhat dark at, uh, certain, certain songs, but, uh, you know, especially in 1971 when animatronics still weren't that relevant, you know, this was probably a big deal, you know, a funny show with singing animatronic bears singing you know funny humorous somewhat adult oriented songs so this was a uh, popular attraction and a staple of frontierland back on opening day in 1971. next we have cinderella's golden carousel which yes it's still there today it's just renamed to prince charming's regal carousel um you know nothing really too fancy or crazy about this attraction you know it hasn't really changed much uh, besides the name, you know, maybe they've updated the music and maybe like a fresh repaint. Um, but yeah, it's your standard carousel ride, uh, popular in amusement parks back in the day. And, you know, just a simple theming based off of Cinderella with the, you know, the golden colors and the horses that you ride on. And, you know, just, a you know, they renamed it to Prince Charming's Regal Carousel. You know, not not that long ago. I would say within the last 20 years or so. But, yep, that one's still here. Next, we have the Diamond Horseshoe Review. Now, this building is still there in Frontierland, the Diamond Horseshoe. And back on opening day, um, as the name says, it was basically just a show. A sing-along, sing musical, um, Frontierland-themed. And, uh, you know, I think, too that the character Picos Bill, uh, I think we're all familiar with the the food uh, offer there at Picos Bill, but the Picos Bill character would make an appearance. Um, and that was there for a while. That was there until 1986. And I think they've kind of changed it a few times since. I know they use it for like special occasions. They used to use it for the Mickey's Not So Scary um, Halloween party. They had like a villain's dance party in there. I believe they also had like a Toy Story Woody's review in there. Uh, yeah, but back on opening day, it was like your typical Western style, you know, musical sing-along and, you know, maybe some uh, some vibes similar to like hoop de doo Next, we have Dumbo the Flying Elephant. Yes, an opening day attraction. Still there in the Magic Kingdom today. In fact, now there's two of them. Um, you know, this was one of those rides that to me as a kid always seemed iconic now um maybe it still is today but back in the day like there was always always a clip of someone riding in the dumbo the flying elephant attraction in every sort of like disney promotional video commercial advertisement like anything like that i felt like they were always pictured in one of the dumbo cars from the ride um you know that movie was popular uh, animated classic, and yeah, it's still there today. 
you know, when they redid New Fantasyland, they kind of built that area up and they added a second, um, you know, version of the attraction. They're both exactly the same. Now there's just two of them. They have like that interactive queue and stuff in between them. But an original attraction, a classic attraction. And like I said, like, I don't know about you guys, but like to me, you know, as a kid, like everything that was a Disney commercial or promotional ad or whatever, it always involved like a family riding on Dumbo the Flying Elephant together. And I believe too, like there's even like a scene in, I think it was in Boy Meets World. Uh, it was either Boy Meets World or Full House they're riding on uh, Dumbo. So uh, classic attraction for sure. Next, we have the Frontierland Shooting Gallery. Still there today, somehow in the Magic Kingdom in Frontierland. You know, this is something, I don't have kids, maybe you guys can let me know, like, is this still popular with kids? I know when I was a kid, this was because you got to shoot a gun and at targets and stuff, and it was cool, and, you know, nowadays, though, I feel like it, it's not as popular because, you know, it's basically like a video game, and, you know, kids at home can play, uh, you know, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever, and, you know, it probably makes the shooting gallery look like nothing look makes it look ancient um but when i was a kid it was really cool always wanted to try it and uh you know practice shooting targets and stuff um but yeah opening day attraction um kind of fits the mold of frontierland and davy crockett and all that stuff so uh no surprise to see it here on opening day and next we move on to the hall of presidents still there to this day still being updated every year with the latest president of the United States. Um, this is one of those where, you know, back in the day it was a lot more popular basically because of the animatronics and that new technology. You know, it wasn't common to see audio animatronics anywhere. Uh, you know, you could really only see it at Disney and to see them look so lifelike and to, you know, hear them talk, it like, it really made you think like you were listening to former presidents speak. And I know um, the the most impressive one at, at the time, back in the day, for Walt, was the Abraham Lincoln one, which I believe they presented this attraction at the World's Fair, one of the World's Fairs back in the day. And you know, so it just kind of showed off the new technological advancements with animatronics, make, made them look super lifelike. You can hear, you know, George Washington or President Lincoln, you know, give speeches and it was, you know, educational, cool to see the technology. Um, I can, I can understand why this would be popular on, you know, opening day. Um, and yet somehow still there today. Next we have the Haunted Mansion, you know, arguably still one of the best and most popular attractions at the Magic Kingdom in all of Walt Disney World, really. And, you know, here it is on opening day 50 years ago. Um, you know, obviously there's been some updates since then. They did a couple renovations, added new scenes, new um, scenes and special effects and all these little things. And, um, you know, the, the interactive queue, too, is also pretty new. I would say within the last 10 years of, years or so, they updated that. But, you know, ever since opening day, it's had some iconic scenes with the stretching room and the the voice and the you know the the hitchhiking ghosts a classic attraction it's really hard to believe that this attraction is 50 years old and it's still you know one of the most popular ones it's still popular in you know in pop culture and movies and 
know, casual Disney fans know the Haunted Mansion. They know the hitchhiking ghosts. Um, so that, that shows a lot about the, uh, the lasting effect that a, and a, a good, you know, solid attraction can have on a person. Next, we have It's a Small World. Again, still there to this day. Uh, you know, some minor improvements and updates throughout the years, but it's still, you know, basically the same attraction. You know, slow-moving boat ride with, you know, the singing animatronics with the classic song and, you know, just a, a tra an attraction again um, that in 1971 just kind of showed off Disney's um, advancements in technology and animatronics and with the song. So, uh, you know, this was a popular attraction at Disneyland. A, you know, one of the most iconic ones, uh, looking back, um, you know, a lot of the old Disneyland promotional stuff, you'll see Small World and, you know, it's the building that the ride was actually in and you kind of start outside and go inside. So always cool to see that. And the one at Disney World, you know, still popular today, um, mostly with little kids, obviously, uh, but you know, again, another classic one. I, th I feel like even if you're the casual Disney fan that you've been there maybe once in your life, if maybe not even at all, you know the, you know, it's a small world song. Next, we have Mad Tea Party, which I'm going to be honest, I didn't realize this was an opening day attraction until I was doing research for this podcast episode. You know, I always kind of just assumed it was added when like Mickey's Toontown was added. Yeah, it always just kind of seemed like an 80s, early 90s type attraction to me. But yeah, it's been there for 50 years. Um, you know, it's a fun ride today. It was probably a, you know, a more thrilling ride back in 1971 when there weren't, you know, roller coasters and all these cool, unique rides when just spinning around in a circle was as thrilling as it would get. But, you know, fun ride. Alice in Wonderland has always been a, um, a go-to uh, you know, property by the Disney company. You know, they, they have a uh, Alice in Wonderland ride at Disneyland. We got the Mad Tea Party. So uh, good to see this one still here today and, you know, hasn't really changed that much. Next, we have a, another attraction that is no longer there and one I really didn't know too much about. This one was called the Mickey Mouse Review. Now, this attraction is where currently Mickey's PhilharMagic is, and there are some tie-ins there. So the Mickey Mouse Review, kind of like the name says, it was a musical sing-along type attraction. It was a show in which basically Mickey was an orchestra conductor, and he would lead, um, you know, classic Disney characters in song. So I know the ride kind of started off with, um, you know, you'd see Mickey and all these characters, and he's got his baton, kind of like in Mickey's PhilharMagic, but instead um, we get classic songs performed by animatronics. So there was the Three Little Pigs. They performed, you know, classic songs from that one. Uh, we see Snow White um, singing with all like the animals and the seven dwarves join in with their instruments. And um, I believe uh, Cinderella also sings with the fairy godmother. And just, uh, there's a bunch of animatronics of characters you know, we've never seen, we, like, there's a, there's a scene with Dumbo and, um, you know, just characters like Cinderella and Fairy Godmother and, you know, like I said, Dumbo. Like, we didn't, we haven't seen animatronic characters before of them. Even, like, in the, some of their rides, you know, they would have just kind of stationary characters. They weren't singing or, 
you know, interacting or anything like that. So um, definitely a very unique ride. Um, you know, some of the other characters, uh, I want to say it included like Minnie and maybe like uh, Scrooge McDuck or Donald. It was hard to tell. I was watching like some video, but a lot of, um, you know, classic Disney characters from movies and cartoons and, you know, pretty much anything that Disney put out. So uh, if you have a chance, check this one out on YouTube. Um, it's obviously no longer there, but they did move it to, I want to say Tokyo Disneyland. And it was there until like the year 2000. So when you get a chance, check that one out on YouTube or Google and see what you think. Next, we have the Mike Fink keel boats. Now these were boats that would kind of take you around that area outside of the Haunted Mansion where the big uh, steamboat is now. It would take you around like Tom Sawyer's Island. It was just a classic, simple, you know, boat ride around that little lagoon area. Um, nothing too crazy and, um, you know, obviously not there today. Next, we have a popular attraction, um, a cult following, if you will, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. This ride, I remember I had, I was on this one because um, it closed in 1998. So I was a kid, but I was able to ride it. And, you know, it was a classic dark ride where you follow the story of uh, Mr. Toad. Uh, if you've seen the classic Disney movie, uh, Ichabod Crane and Mr. Toad, uh, it involves those characters. And it was, you know, involved in some controversy. Now, this is the first Disney attraction I can remember getting closed or changed because of complaints. There was a scene in the attraction of um, the devil, pretty much the, you know, uh, an appearance of a cartoon devil that people complained about. And eventually, you know, Disney decided to get rid of it and change it. And, you know, Mr. Toad and his wild ride has always kind of had a cult following ever since. Um, it closed in 98 and it was replaced by the Winnie the Pooh dark ride. So, um, you know, another one, if you get a chance, it used to be at Disneyland as well. It was a little different, um, but it's another one that'd be cool to look up on YouTube if you ever get the chance. Next, we have the classic Skyway. Now, this was the attraction I talked about a little bit in this episode. Um, you would see it. It would start in Adventureland and go through Tomorrowland. And it was basically... You know, like a Skyliner. It looked like the new Skyliners that Disney put up to uh, kind of take you from park to resort. This one took you from Adventureland to Tomorrowland. And basically like the cable cars um, that you see today. This was an attraction where I rode it when I was really small. And it was just iconic. You would see it. It went straight through the middle of... Um, uh, Fantasyland through to Tomorrowland. I think I said Adventureland, but it was Fantasyland to Tomorrowland. And this was something, it closed in 1999, but it was like, on, it was not operational for years. It was just an empty building um, where the tangled bathrooms are. That's where like the loading station was. And for years, it was just nothing. And I would always kind of talk with my parents like, I wish that was still, you know, there so I could ride it when I was older and appreciate it. But the Skyway, um, you know, a popular attraction that is no longer there in the Magic Kingdom. Next, we have another classic dark ride. This was Snow White Scary Adventures. Um, you know, classic dark ride, slow moving animatronics. Kind of just told the story of the movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. 
Um, it was cool to see, you know, all the characters and just how the, they told the story. And, you know, it didn't close that long ago. It closed in 2012 and they uh, replaced it with Princess Fairy Tale Hall. Um, but luckily we weren't without Snow White for long. Um, you know, they, they built the Seven Dwarves Mine train uh, not too long after. So, uh, yeah, this was a fun run. I remember going on this one a lot. Next, we have the Swiss Family Treehouse, still there to this day. Somehow, I don't know how. Uh, this is probably my least favorite attraction at the Magic Kingdom. And I just, I can't believe that it's still operational today. I can appreciate they, that they, you know, haven't touched it and messed with it because it's, you know, it's been there for 50 years since opening day. But, yeah, I just, I don't have much to say about this one. A classic attraction where you can... Just kind of walk around the Swiss Family Treehouse from the movie from back in the day. Next, we have the Tropical Serenade. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar, you may recognize it as its most common name, the Enchanted Tiki Room. Uh, this was an animatronic show with the singing birds. Uh, you know, they, they updated it in like the mid to late 90s. Um, but... Yeah, same type of show, tro tropical birds uh, singing and dancing and just putting on a nice show for you to sit and enjoy. Uh, this one, if you remember, or if you don't even too, uh, they changed it in like the late 90s and they added uh, Iago and Zazu from Aladdin and Lion King and people just were in outrage and Disney eventually like a year or two later switched it back, so... Uh, classic attraction, the Enchanted Tiki Room, was originally known as the Tropical Serenade. Next, we have the Grand Prix Raceway, or as you know it today, the Tomorrowland Speedway. Yes, this was an original opening day attraction. Uh, this was super popular back in the day because kids were able to drive a car. Now, obviously, those cars can only go 7 miles per hour and are on a track, but as a 5-year-old, I know when I was on it as a kid... I didn't know there was a track. I thought I was going to drive off the road. I was terrified. Um, but yeah, this was a fun attraction as a kid, and I still appreciate it today, and I'm glad. Uh, I'm actually glad that they haven't changed it or updated it really that much. Uh, obviously, they've changed how it looks, and they've kind of modernized the cars. Um, but the Grand Prix Raceway, 50 years old and still going strong. And finally... The last one on the list, the Walt Disney World Railroad, was originally known as an attraction. Now, we probably wouldn't count it as an attraction now. Um, technically, it is. You know, we have to wait in line for it. Uh, I, I kind of see it more as just kind of uh, transportation. Uh, I do enjoy it when it's open. I feel like it hasn't been open in like three or four years. Uh, but the WDW Railroad Classic, you know, Walt loved his train. So glad to see that this one is still there and operating, hopefully soon, back operating uh, today in the Magic Kingdom. And that does it for the official list of all the opening day attractions at the Magic Kingdom on October 1st, 1971. Good to see that there's still a lot of opening day attractions still at the Magic Kingdom today. I can truly and honestly appreciate that. Now that pretty much wraps up everything about the Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World on opening day. Uh, we're not going to really dive into all of the restaurants and food options, um, but there are quite a few places at the Magic Kingdom that were open on opening day that are still there today. 
those include the Crystal Palace, Cinderella's Royal Table, the Lunching Pad, um, Pinocchio's Village House, uh, the Plaza, the Main Street Bakery, the Confectionery, and Sunshine Tree Terrace. Uh, there might be a few that I miss, some of the smaller ones, but those are more of the bigger locations and, um, you know, restaurants and food service places that are still popular and part of the Magic Kingdom today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now it's time for my favorite part of each and every episode, questions from you guys. Except this time, it's a little different. I asked you the question. Now, I went on my Instagram and I put out a story asking you guys, what's one thing from Walt Disney World opening day, October 1st, 1971, that you wish you could have experienced? I got a lot of good ones from you guys, a lot of similar ones, you know, some of us uh, Disney diehards, we, uh, we all kind of think the same. Uh, but nonetheless, a lot of good ones. And let's go through some of them now. This first one is from Friend Like Me 93 They said, seeing Julie Andrews dance around Main Street. Um, I didn't remember this off the top of my head, but I think, uh, you know, with the opening day festivities, they had like a big uh, like celebration. Not like parade, but like a big ceremony, like opening day ceremony. And I believe Julie Andrews uh, was uh, part of that and, you know, probably did some sort of Mary Poppins dance. Um, you know, she was always in good standards with Disney ever since the Mary Poppins movie came out. So that doesn't surprise me to see her there on opening day. This next one is from Adventures of Max and Greg. He simply says, the speech. Yes, that iconic speech on Main Street. Roy Disney and uh, Mickey Mouse front and center. You know, and Roy basically welcoming everyone and, you know, dedicating it to his late brother, Walt, who died, you know, before he could see it finished. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you. To see that speech uh, would be an iconic moment. It would probably give me chills. That would, um, I would love to have seen that. The next one is from Laura E. Coelho. They said, The Skyway. Now, this is that attraction, the Skyway, the original Skyliner, if you will. Um, yeah, this is one of those things where if you look up any vintage or retro uh, Disney World pictures at the Magic Kingdom, um, you know, a lot of them you're going to see the Skyway. I believe it went from um, Fantasyland to Tomorrowland, I want to say. And it was one of those, like, when I was a little kid, like, really young, two, three, four years old, I don't know if I was on it, but I do remember seeing it in the park. It's one of those weird, uh, vivid memories I have where I, you know, I don't remember much from that age, but you can remember like certain images and stuff. And the the Skyway at the Magic Kingdom, I definitely remember. Um, and I remember when they closed it too. So that would be, uh, it'd be cool to see that, you know, fully operational on opening day. Now, this next topic uh, I got a lot of similar responses, so I'm going to go through some of them. But basically, a lot of you guys said, you know, honestly, the prices. 
the prices back on opening day. Like imagine, you know, being able to uh, go to Disney World just a few bucks, you know. Uh, Andrew, J. Volker, 24-7, Anthony. Uh, they both said cheaper tickets and the prices back then. Um, we also have uh, the Greek Little Lamb said the prices with two exclamation points. Yeah, um, I feel you there. Uh, Kirsten FCHS said the cheap prices. Um, <laughs> you know, like I said, a lot of us think the same. Uh, that's definitely, definitely would have been part of it. Uh, having the cheaper prices, cheaper tickets, which means everything would have been cheaper. You know, food, merchandise. Imagine all the merchandise you can buy if you went back in time with like 20 bucks in your pocket. You know, back then though, it was a little different as well because I believe you had to uh, pay to ride the attractions. So still a uh, totally different experience when it's uh, super cheap like that. Uh, kind of similar, the Duchess of Disney said paying $40 per night for a room at the Polynesian. Oh my God. Imagine if the Polynesian was $40 a night right now. I think I'd be able to stay there for like a year. I think I would just do it. It would be totally worth it. Now, you know, that's $40. It could get you uh, not even half a night at the Polynesian. Uh, this next one, Cursed P33 said the merchandise and the rides. Yeah, they talked about that a little bit. All that, you know, nowadays, currently in 2021, like the Disney retro merchandise is the hottest stuff out there. Uh, imagine how many cool shirts and mugs and, you know, collectibles you could have bought you know, on opening day, 1971. Man, that would have been, that would have been cool to, uh, to see. Pantalone 79 said Mickey Mouse Review. Yep, one of the attractions there at the Magic Kingdom. Running Rev said Seeing Roy Disney. Yeah, just, you know, kind of connected to the speech. Um, even if you de didn't see him give the speech, just kind of seeing him walk around, you know, Main Street in the park. And, you know, imagine what was, you know, kind of going through his head and how he was feeling. You know, he went through everything with Walt, with Disneyland, and building up the Disney company. Um, you know, then his brother passes away prematurely, you know, and Walt fulfills his dream for him. That had to be, you know, an emotional thing for him, you know, just walking around the park. I bet you could just see him um, and see the emotions as he walked through. Uh, this next one is from Zager Ethan. said, seeing everyone experience Disney for the first time. This one, this one hits deep. You know, because even like nowadays, where I'm on an attraction or I'm in line, uh, maybe you guys can relate. Like, I love being around people who haven't, you know, either been on the ride before or been at Disney before. There's something, there's just something about it, you know, seeing them experience it for the first time. There's been times, you know, you get on an attraction, there's a family in front of you and you kind of overhear them talking about, uh, you know, they don't know what to expect. They don't know how the attraction is. Sometimes they'll turn around and ask you, you know, that's happened to me a few times. I know one time on test track, this family, the entire ride was like the, the little kid in the family kept asking questions and the parents were just like, Oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Then like right before we get on the, the mom turned around to me and was like, does this one go upside down? And I was like, no, don't worry. It doesn't go upside down. It goes fast, but it doesn't go upside down. And then you just kind of see them and, see their reactions and the joy and like that's the Disney magic right there so I can relate to that one uh, for sure uh, this one's from Darth Dagan Deegan the original sound ambience and music playing all over the park yeah that would have been that would have been um, pretty cool to hear like the original ambience I wonder what it sounded like there's got to be some similar sounds to now um, you know, the Main Street music and 
the, the just the ambiance of there's probably just so many like different sounds on main street between all like the different vehicles they had running on main street and like the horses with the carriages and the trolleys and you know the regular music and just sound effects that would have been cool to to experience uh, molly katie says literally anything you know what you got a good point there i think literally anything uh would be fun to experience all the way back in 1971 and I think this might be our last one. It's from uh, AGLA France 16. The events of opening day and seeing Tomorrowland originally. Yeah, all the events, the celebrations. You know, we talked about the speech from Roy. And I'm sure you can find it uh, in articles and online. Like just the, the rope drop and opening day ceremonies with all the characters and the parade and dancers and confetti. Would have been cool to see that. But also, yeah, Tomorrowland. Like, I would have loved to see Tomorrowland in the image that they, you know, this is the image that they dreamed it to be. You know, don't forget, this is 1971, and this was their idea of what tomorrow would look like, the future. Um, maybe it didn't turn out that way, uh, but I would have loved to see, like, their original dream, uh, you know, see it come to life in the original Tomorrowland. You know, you guys had uh, a lot of similar ones, a lot of good ones, and, you know, a lot of them yeah, I, I agree with. Now, I think for mine, what what's the one thing I would have wanted to experience? It's, you know, there's it's tough just to pick one. I would have loved to see Roy's speech, the opening day ceremonies in themselves, you know, walk down the original Main Street and see Tomorrowland and, you know, ride the attractions on opening day, like when they first opened would have been cool to see. But I, th you know, but I think for me, what I would have wanted to experience is just the magic. Now, I know it kind of sounds cliche in general, but Disney World in 1971 was just so much more magical than it is today because today we have so much more of the real world with us at all times. We have, you know, basically a computer in our pockets where we keep in touch with friends and we can text and watch videos on, you know, while we're waiting in line, we could be watching a YouTube video or Netflix, you know, it's crazy. Whereas in 1971, once you stepped onto Walt Disney World property, you were in a bubble, you were in a different world. I would have loved to experience that. I would have loved to just go and stay at the contemporary and just walk around and experience like just everything about it. Like that hotel at the time was revolutionary. It was the contemporary. It was modern. It was futuristic. It was everything. You know, you had a monorail that went right through the middle of it. Like there had nothing, there's nothing, you know, similar to that at the time. To just walk around and see the people and, you know, just walk around wide-eyed, like in awe of what they're seeing. And then going to the Magic Kingdom and you know, the, the seeing the different characters and the different lands and the theming. It would have been just amazing to soak all of that in and not have any of the outside world with you at that time. You know, walking through Frontierland, you know, you were in a different you were in the Frontierland. Walking through Adventureland, you were in an Adventureland. You know, it was just a just a more magical experience because you know, you truly were in a different world. And with that, I think it's a good time to say our goodbyes. That's all I got for this week's episode. A lot of research, a lot of uh, reading about opening day at Walt Disney World. Um, you know, I it was tough to kind of find everything in one place. I would love to watch like a documentary just about opening day 
um, you know, what was there, what they offered, like, were there any problems, like, you know, stuff like that I find interesting. You know, we, we all know the story of building Walt Disney World, but I would like something uh, that just kind of dives into opening day itself. Now, there are th some things on YouTube you can watch, like, the actual opening day, like, ceremonies that aired on, you know, TV and, like, ABC and stuff like that, but uh, just something I think would be cool. Again, I want to thank all you guys for coming back and listening. If you're a new listener, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, um, there's quite a few good ones to choose from in the archives. Uh, you know, whether you're on the uh, Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, they're all available everywhere. And I appreciate everyone that listened, everyone that sends me positive feedback. You guys are the best. Uh, again, if you haven't already... Followed me on Instagram, Disney World Today. I try to post as much as possible stories, reels, posts, uh, whatever comes to mind and you know related to Disney. And if you can do me a favor, leave me a rating and a review in the iTunes Podcast Store. Um, any review, and I'll uh, give you a shout out on next week's episode. Already planning the next episode. Going to be another fun one to record. I'm getting in the mood, doing some research. And that'll be out shortly. But until then, guys, always remember, it all started with a mouse. Mm -hmm.